Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. So nervously, I picked up the phone with my college roommate sitting there, egging me on, listening in, and said, hello, this is John from Calc class. You see on the other end of the call was a girl, a nice girl, a really cute girl from Calc class. So I'm in college. I don't know if you guys ever had that happen with a friend or a buddy is, is egging you on, encouraging you, go talk to that person, go talk to that person. I'm like, no, no. And so that would have been happening. I had met this girl in calculus class and got in a conversation, and I was calling her because I wanted to see if she would go out with me. And we had talked in, in class about uh, a lot of things, but I was really into college sports. Any college sports fans out here? Yeah. So I love football. It was basketball season, and at the time I was going to Michigan, and and it was on the same year as the Fab Five, if any historic uh, basketball fans that are there, time out. Um, and, so, and so the Fab Five were playing, and this girl had never seen them. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, this is my opportunity. So I went out, and I bought an extra ticket to the game. I called her up, and uh, yeah, this is John. She's like, who? John from Cal Class, which is never a good sign. Um, and I was like, yeah, I was just wondering if you wanted to go with me to this, uh, to this basketball game. She's like, oh, yeah, I really, really wanted to go. And she's like, when is it? And I was like, it's tonight. She's like, oh, tonight. Oh, I have a Bible study tonight. And in my mind, I'm like, sweet, we're going to the basketball game. Because in my mind, church was something you just skipped. It was optional. Of course you wanted to go with me to a basketball game rather than going to a Bible study. She's like, no, 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 you don't get that. I'm going to go to the Bible study instead. I'm like, oh. And then she asked this question, do you want to go with me to the Bible study? And my, my friend can see me just fumbling around. He's like, what, what's going on? You know, I'm like, uh, uh, well, I'm like, well, she's nice and she's asking me and it's still something. I'm like, sure. And so she's, so she's like, okay, well, I'll come and we'll come by and we're going to go to this Bible study. And I hang up and he's like, what was that? Are you going to the, the basketball game with her? And I'm like, no, I don't even think I'm going to the basketball game. He's like, you're not. I think I'm going to church. And he just busts out laughing at me. And I cringe a little. Because, you see, for me at that point, I had grown up religious. I mean, I knew things of God. Uh, Growing up, I'd ask a lot of questions. And I never got acceptable answers. And so I largely dismissed God. Uh, In high school, my mother passed away. And that was all it took for me to believe that there had to be some supernatural with all that I saw and knew, but most likely it just created this and set it spinning. It certainly wasn't concerned with me. And so I hadn't done anything to engage with God or church for years. But when this girl asked me this Bible study, part of me was intrigued, not by the girl, but by God. Because I had then spent years just living how I wanted to live. 
partaking in everything that the world had to offer, especially a college lifestyle, partying, and no matter what it was, I found it empty. You know, the world was rough. You know, I had held people at arm's length. I used my personality to manipulate people, family, friends, to get what I wanted. I made choices based on what was best for me, not necessary for anybody else around me. You know, I had that belief that God wasn't involved and it didn't really matter. But I was intrigued because God was knocking. And so I went to that Bible study, and then I went to a retreat, and I heard this talk on the Bible's best-kept secret, grace. And I, then I started to look back at my life, and I could see God's fingerprints all over, including my mom's death. I saw how this loss was something that was breaking down a proud and arrogant guy. I was able to see my weaknesses and my sins and the way I, I treated everybody. How no matter what I pursued, it was empty. And yet I knew that I could have forgiveness now? No matter what? I didn't have to earn it? That God was there? That he would give me life eternal and he would give me comfort in this life? And so, as a college sophomore in a hotel room in tears, I gave my life to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I relinquished my control to him. You know, we get a chance to talk about our testimonies, our stories, and a lot of times that's what we hear. That's what the, the opportunities that we get to share is how have we come to faith in Jesus? How have we placed our faith and became a Christian and trusted? But that's not the whole story. I think too many Christians stop there and they don't talk about what Jesus has done after and how he sustains you and how he ch changes the way that you live. You know, because he does, he gives us purpose. I had purpose, I had meaning. He changes us, albeit slow, in how we think about ourselves and about the life. And he changes how our character is. He changes our very heart. He sets us apart. Our priorities aren't now on our own, but they're God's priorities. And we get to learn that and live that way. And that's how we respond to everything. And life throws a lot at us. And people need to hear how we respond to what life throws at us. You see, my mother's death wasn't the only death I was accompanied, uh, familiar with now in my life. I've seen friends die. We've lost a child. I lost my father. There's other loss, right? I've lost opportunities. I lost a job. I've lost many friends. There's difficulty. I mean, life has a lot of difficult decisions. How do you behave ethically in so many situations with your friends and at work? How do you handle your marriage and relationships? Parenting. There's a lot of difficult decisions in parenting. And how do we behave and, and, and respond? And our hearts are full of all this emotion and anger and intensity. And how are we going to handle that? It can be a lot. How are we going to navigate our life? You know, I really believe that the Lord may have a personal challenge in order for you this morning. And it's going to be found in this passage. Uh, this passage is dear to me. This is a passage that's like the story of David. It's in 2 Samuel. We're going to look at a story. David was a young guy who followed after God. He already saw God demonstrate his power and his goodness. He, he was the one who fought Goliath standing up for the people of Israel. He's the one who was told by a prophet of God that you will be king, and he believed him. He found himself being hunted down by the king himself and spent years on the run and in hiding. Yet, his eyes were still on the Lord. 
He became the king. He leads the people of Israel to worship. He was a man after God's own heart. He wrote so many psalms. And yet we find stories of his most grievous sins and that he saw another man's wife and commits adultery with her. And then the husband, Uriah, he has murdered. And then he covers the whole thing up. And he's thinking he's getting away with it. Till a prophet of the Lord named Nathan shows up at his doorstep and calls him out. Do you ever have that situation where a close family or friend pulls you aside and is like, I need to talk to you, and pulls you aside, and you're like, oh, we got to go talk over there. And he calls you out on something, and you just know. You're like, yes, I know. This was David. He'd been pulled aside by Nathan and would call out on adultery and murder and cover-up. And so we pick up here. We're going to start our story in 2 Samuel. This is what happened. Nathan has just approached David, and it says, David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, The Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. However, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son born to you will die. Then Nathan went home. The Lord struck the baby that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became deathly ill. So David's confronted by this prophet who is just upholding the justice of God and the decrees of God. And this baby, the one that Uriah's wife had born to him, again, accenting the fact that this baby has come from an illegitimate uh, affair, has said, this baby is going to die. But what has been David's response? He says, I have sinned against the Lord. Though he was covering up, he's repentant. Remember, God, he, he loves God. He's seen God work in the past. He is a follower of God. David sees it, and he owns this. But what's he going to do at this news, being told by a prophet that your baby is going to die? What's his response? He said, David pleaded with God for the boy. He fasted, went home, and spent the night lying on the ground. The elders of his house stood beside him to get him up from the ground. But he was unwilling and would not eat anything with them. David, who is known as a man of prayer, he, he wrote so many of the Psalms, these beautiful words, and, and sang them in song. He's a man of prayer who goes to prayer. He goes before God. And it says he pleaded. He pleaded with God for the boy. He won't eat. He won't sleep in his own bed. He's lying on the ground to the point that those who are close to him see, his, and they, they try, they attempt to get him up. Come on, he won't. They, you got to eat something. He won't. They all know what's going on. They know what is happening with his, his sick, deathly ill son. David is absolutely wrecked by this news, and everyone around sees that. I mean, we can relate to David. Maybe not that exact issue, but something has happened in your life that has just struck you to the core, that has wrecked you. Let's be honest. Life hits us hard often. And when it happens, we can have trusted people, loved ones around us. They see it, and they want to step in and help. But they, they can't know what you're going on. I remember when I went to my mom's funeral, and I'm standing there, and people are walking by and coming up, and friends not even knowing what to say. I mean, funerals are so hard. What do you say? 
And I had people say, I know what you're going through. And I, I didn't say anything, but even as a 15-year-old, I said, you don't know. In my head, I was like, you don't know what's going on. And let's face it, I didn't know what was going on. There are people who related. When someone says, I can relate, that helped. <laughs> that helped a lot. I can relate, but I don't know. You know, the one who knows in all those situations is God. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He created you. He knows your inner being. Right? He understands. Even when we don't, only God knows. It's what do we do in those moments. We, we have to wrestle with him. I married my wife, and we'd been married for a few years. I was doing campus ministry, and we, were, we had our own little place. We were excited, and we uh, tried to get, have a baby, and we got pregnant. So we're so excited. We got to that point in the pregnancy where you get the ultrasound, and you could see what, what the gender is, and we get this call from the doctor, and the doctor you know, says, all right, you got to come in. we got to talk to you about the ultrasound. And they're like, well, why do we have to come in? It's like, I can't tell you over the phone. You have to come in. So the two of us, we go on in, and we meet with this doctor. And they show us the ultrasound, which we'd already seen, and zooms in on a different part, usually looking at other parts, right? Zooms in on a different part and sees the kidneys and shows us what normal kidneys would look like. And here they are, they're small, and how they're, they're dark in this ultrasound, and then shows our baby's kidneys. And they're absolutely massive. They're huge. And they're lit up on the ultrasound, just white instead of dark. It says your baby's kidneys are enlarged and they're completely covered in cysts. And this is absolutely a textbook example of what's called polycystic kidney disease. It's a genetic disease. We've known about it for a long time. Um, but it's genetic and there's no known cure or treatment. In every case that's ever been recorded, uh, the baby does not survive. Usually, usually, most often, the baby will be carried to full term and then die at birth, may live an hour. If you carry this baby to the full term, you may not even hold the baby. So we suggest that you abort. We first. When we walked out of that hospital room, made it into the parking garage, and just bawled. Just bawled in our car together. We didn't, we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know what to do. We had to start, we started praying, and so we did, and then we drove to our pastor's house, our co-pastor, our friend, and we told him the news we just heard, and off, off him and his wife and the four of us just bawled. See, we had even no clear direction. We knew we needed to pray. We needed to go to God. We'd been standing on his word. But what do you even pray for? I don't even know what to pray for. Do I, I pray for strength? I knew we were going to need strength. We were going to have three and a half months of just knowing this news and just waiting. Do we pray for strength to be able to sustain ourselves after this terrible tragedy that's coming? Do we pray for healing? I know God can heal. But do I pray for healing? There's been no case ever of this. It was so clear. That this was going to happen. And that's when we found this passage. Because we are rooted in God's word and we spent time in his word, we saw the story of David. We saw the story where David is struck to the heart, where life kicked him, and he didn't have much else to do but to pray. He was told a child of his was going to die. And so what does he do? He goes and he pleads before the Lord. 
And he fasts and he prays. And that's what he decides. There's no indication he prayed for strength. He prayed for God to do something. And so that's what we decided. We're going to pray that God would heal. And so we started asking everybody we knew. And I was in ministry, and so I rewrote letters. So it, it wasn't social media. We wrote letters and put stamps on envelopes and mailed them out to people and let people know, pray. And we had hundreds of people that were praying. And we would go in every few weeks and get a new ultrasound. And we'd get an ultrasound, and the kidneys would be enlarged, and they're covered in cysts, and the, the, the fluid was getting lower and lower. And it was textbook. Our last ultrasound was on the due date no change in the situation. And yet we prayed. We had many people praying with us because we surrounded ourselves, just like David. David finds himself in a similar situation. He's surrounded by people who have this great concern for him. Look, it says this. On the seventh day, the baby died. But David's servants were afraid to tell him the baby was dead. They said, look, while the baby was alive, we spoke to him, and he wouldn't listen to us. So how can we tell him the baby is dead? He may do something desperate. When David saw that his servants were whispering to each other, he guessed that the baby was dead. So he asked his servants, is the baby dead? He is dead, they replied. So a few things to observe here. Notice this happens on the seventh day. David and his response in the situation has carried on for a week. For a week, this is continues of where he's fasting and praying and they're speaking to him and he's not responding. They're not listening. He's not listening. Can you imagine his state, how gross he was and dirty he was and he's fasting. He hasn't eaten. He's sleeping on the floor. You know? Curiously enough, you may notice that in the story, the baby is referred to as the baby. The baby doesn't have a name. There is no name for the baby because the baby has died. And you might think, well, maybe it's a, the, the writer didn't think it's significant, but this is Jewish culture where lineage is significant. Names are significant, especially in the line of David. All right, so that's not most likely. What's most likely is, has something to do with customs. Like, think about how important customs are to us, especially about our children in a pregnancy. Like, you get, you get, all you have to do is go on social media and someone's pregnant and you see all their, their announcements that they're pregnant and there's all these creative ways in which we do it and you can track the baby bumps all along the way, right? And then we have the gender reveal. And oh my gosh, these are so over the top and there's just all these ways in which we're doing that, right? And then we have our kids and there's a birth announcement and then kids, oh, they, don't get me started on how many of my friends have first day of school pictures all over the place. Like, there's so many kids out there. Just all you have to do is start school and I know everybody grades and everything. Our customs around our kids are important because our children are so important to us. What was the most important custom to Israel regarding children, particular to male children? Circumcision. Circumcision was the covenantal treatment, the inclusion into the people of God where a male baby was included into the covenantal family. And it's, you're commanded to do it, and it's very precise what to do. It says, on the eighth day, you are to circumcise your child. The eighth day. Maybe past on the seventh. It, often in the custom, 
On the eighth day, the child will be given a name. We see this in the New Testament when John the Baptist is named at his circumcision on the eighth day, John. Even though they thought his family name, Zechariah, would be given, they said, no, his father finally speaks again and says his name is John. And he didn't have a name for seven days until they gave it to him on the eighth. And so most likely that explains why this baby lacks a name. We are seeing that grave concern that his servants have. I mean, they hear the news, and they're fearful. They don't want to tell him. I mean, no one wants to be the bearer of bad news anyway. But they, says, they said, we fear that he will do something desperate. The Hebrew word there means evil or harm. It's like, this is how he's behaved before with a death, when he's deathly ill. What is he going to do? He may do harm. He might do something wrong here. And they perceived his desperation. But they didn't perceive his desperation as an act of faith. For David was an act of faith. He's desperately pleading to God that he would do something. And so they tell David, being a man of perception, he perceives the whispering. He knows something, and he has to ask them a question. Is the baby dead? And at that point, you just got to, what are you going to do? And they have to say, yes, your child is gone. And they look to see, like us, well, what's he going to actually do? What does he do? Scripture says, Then David got up from the ground. He washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, went to the Lord's house, and worshipped. Then he went home and requested something to eat. So they served him food, and he ate. His servants asked him, Why have you done this? While the baby was alive, you fasted and wept. But when he died, you gave up. You got up and ate food. I mean, they're, now they're just as equally baffled out of the behavior afterward. Right? It was the opposite of their fears. In fact, it was the opposite of a lot of customs. When you would lose someone, that's when all the weeping and the grieving would happen. That's when people would wear the black and wail and bring people over to mourn. That's when people would fast. That's what they expected That's what what David looked like before. But afterwards, what's he do? He gets up. He washes. He puts on fresh new clothes, and he anoints himself. He's behaving like the priest. And before he eats, he goes to the Lord's house, and he worships. He worships and acknowledges the Lord. And it's not the dark and somber reaction they thought he would have. But he coming at the death, at the news of the death of his baby, he's giving his attention to God. Then he comes back, feeds himself, and they serve him this food, and they're baffled. And they ask him, why have you done it this way? And then we get this awesome ending to this passage where we get insight into David, which we get a lot in his writings, but this is just the real David responding in the moment. He answered. While the baby was alive, I fasted and wept because I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let him live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I'll go to him, but he will never return to me. And you see 
just an authentic David, just telling us what he's thinking. We can read the Psalms and you can see the, the poetic words that you, uh, an artist crafts in, in song or in poetry. But this is just raw, real David. We get insight to what was happening. You see, while in the situation that was playing out where it hadn't fully played out, he's told the baby was going to die, but he hasn't. What does he do? He says, at that point, I may as well plead. I may as well ask. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious. He may, he may let it live. It hasn't played out yet. And what he's doing then before the bad news is he acknowledges that it's for the Lord to decide. It was the alignment of David's mind and his heart with that of the Lord. That's what he was doing before. And then he receives this terrible news that his child has passed. And so here's a situation that has played out. Even if it's one of great pain and loss, and it was contrary to his desires and contrary to his pleading. And so what does he do? He acknowledges that it was the Lord's to decide. And he lines his heart and his mind to that of the Lord. You see that before and the after, they're both the same. They're both examples of an acknowledgement of lordship, of placing yourself under the Lord as God. You catch that? Lordship. Lordship is, has this idea with authority, and no one likes authority. Right? It's not a popular word, authority. We don't love it, right? We all think that we can rule our own lives, that we have authority. I know I did. Just look at my young life. I just thought I could do what I want. And you're rebellious. And you think, I don't need to follow organization. I don't need to follow religious organization. I don't need to follow laws, right? It's just like authority. Ah, we buck against it. And we have this illusion that we think we are in control. But all I had to do was try to live my life in my control. And I realized I had, I didn't have great control. Because I'm constantly being swayed by people around me. I'm constantly being swayed by situations. Things are happening that I have no control about. And that's outside. Inside? My desires and my urges and my emotions and my thoughts, they were terrible. And the way I would treat other people were terrible. And it's like the way I would default to live my life was, was bad. And it was causing emptiness. And so finally, I decided that there had to be, I was going to live ruled by something. Rather than my bad nature, what about a good and powerful God who created me, who could help me through that? And you align yourself as Jesus' as Savior and Lord. And we follow after. And I think that's where we say so many of our stories end up just making him our Savior. But what about those stories of following after your Lord? Of letting him be the one that you follow? I think the most practical words we have for today are in this last, these last phrases of David where he says, who knows? Who knows? The Lord may be gracious. I love the who knows because it's just it's so real. But the words... And I want us to remember, if there's only three you walk out today and you think on, it's the next three. The Lord may. Actually, will you say that with me? The Lord may. One more time. The Lord may. And do me this favor. This one, whisper it. The Lord may. Don't t- I can't tell you how many times I have to whisper those words. Or they echo out quietly in the back of my head. Because when life hits you, that's what it comes down to. The Lord may. 
be loved by you. Who knows what tomorrow holds? None of us, not me. The Lord. The Lord may. Why those words? Let me first tell you a story. This is one I call like a preacher story. You, well, pre- preachers, we hear these stories and you, you, you want to use them because they're good, but then you try to track it down and like, does this even happen? So I treat it like a parable. You know, Jesus told parables. They didn't happen. They illustrate a point. So this is a modern day parable, right? A pastor is on an airplane. So now you know it's modern day. A pastor's on an airplane. He's following, he's flying to a pastor's conference and he's going to teach this, this whole conference of all these pastors and Bible teachers. And he'd been known about this for months and he'd been assigned a passage, Psalm 23. And he's thinking, of, like, for months, he's thinking, what am I going to preach on? Psalm 23, with all these people who, who know the Bible in and out. Like, Psalm 23. It's like one of the best passages. People know it. Like, it's on knick-knack paddywhacks in every grandmother's home. I mean, this is, this is, this is a, something we all know, right? I mean, you know it. You've heard it. You've seen it. Here's, here's part of it, right? It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. And it goes on. It's this beautiful passage. And he, he's struggling. He's on the plane flying to the conference and he doesn't have a message. He doesn't know what he's going to say. It's like these people know it all. What am I going to teach them about green pastures and sheep and they've all seen all this? But he stops and he quiets himself. And he prays, all right, Lord, give me, give me some insight that I've not had on this. And opens it up, Psalm 23, and he reads, The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And he closes his Bible. And he, went, and he preached the message to all these people who knew the word on those two words. The Lord. The Lord. He is God, creator of all. He is the Lord. Do you remember or even realize that you follow the Lord? That he is your shepherd. And as the Lord, he may. The Lord may have a personal challenge for each and every one of us here this morning. The Lord may ask you to give. The Lord may take. The Lord may call you to serve more. The Lord may call you to slow down more. The Lord may heal. The Lord may comfort. The Lord may work in your loneliness. The Lord may surround you with friends and love. The Lord may have you stand up. The Lord may have you quiet down. The Lord may give you the money to buy that thing you've always wanted. And the Lord may ask you to give and buy that thing that somebody else needs. You see, you can look at these heavy things in life and they hit us and that's when we need the Lord. But it's not even just that, right? He is our Lord. He gives us blessing. He doesn't want you just to survive. He wants you to thrive. 
He wants us to be able to tell our stories. Our stories don't have to just stop with our salvation. They can be stories of all the ways he's been good to you. The Lord has given you purpose. Lord, he's given you dreams. He wants you to step out for him. He wants you to yield to him and be able to tell stories of how good it has been that you have given your life to following the Lord. Right? Because the Lord may do as he wants because he is the Lord. But those words are also important because not only is it an acknowledgement of him as the Lord, those three words, the Lord may, are a statement of surrender. The Lord may. Because he's the Lord. And so he may. So they may whisper in your ear, the Lord may. I can't tell you what personal challenge he has for you today. He has one for us each and every day as we follow after him. How are we going to know? How are we going to know about it? you got to get to know the Lord. Friends, that's prayer. That's prayer. That's what it is. It's, it's personal. It's real. It's like David talking. It's you talking to him. It's being real. That's all David is doing throughout this entire story for a week is praying. That's what David knew. He wrote about it. He sang it about it. I mean, he wrote the, the, 20, he wrote the 23rd Psalm. <laughs> so how are we to know? We're to pray. When Jesus was asked, well, then how are we to pray? He said this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he gave us those words not just to say them just like that, but to put them into our words. Your will be done the Lord may. Do as your will. But it's prayer. It's a conversation. It's getting to know him and his truth and his word and, and his examples and his character. And then aligning. Prayer is just that alignment with you and your mind and your heart with that of the Lord. While we're talking about prayer, I wanted to share again about this thing we're doing, this new ministry called Generations Prayer Team. We're launching this here in the fall. Now that our youth and our young adults are going to be starting here in the next couple weeks, we are going to have this fall a Generations Prayer Team where you can sign up for this, and we are asking the adults of our church to be willing to, for the for our duration of the whole school year, be willing to come alongside a youth or a young adult in our church and pray for them. So all you need to do is sign up for this. You don't have to ever go anywhere, be any place. But you sign up for this. We'll send out information about launching this. I know some of you signed up earlier, but we're waiting to get our ministry starting. And then we will team you up and give you a prayer request, the prayer request of a youth. And we even pray. And it's an awesome opportunity for us to come alongside our youth and show them the power of prayer and asking and how the Lord may work. But one of the things I think is amazing about prayer is often, like, not only are we going to pray and want, what, Lord, what do you want for me? What's your challenge for me? But when we pray for another and we see these needs, and you hear the needs of our youth and all that they're struggling with and all that they're bombarded with, to be able to pray all throughout the school year for another, it opens up our, our eyes to see the needs of others, and it unlocks something to be able to see the Lordship that God calls us to. And so the Lord knows that our youth need it, for sure. And we're going to demonstrate to them that we're going to surround them in prayer. And we're coming alongside them. They're not a Lord alone, but they're with, they can follow the Lord. 
and show them that the Lord answers. He can. He can answer and he can be there for them. You know, in our story with our baby, we had that due date, we had the ultrasound, we had hundreds of people praying for us. A week after that ultrasound, we went into labor. And it was a 40-hour labor size, right? Woo. You know, we had never gone through this before, you know, and so we went in there, but I could tell this was not normal. There were so many doctors and so many machines in, in the room, so many nurses, and we, they, we knew they were anticipating, you know, something bad. We could see the respirators. We can see what was going on. But then the, the, the nurses also knew that this wasn't normal. Because the waiting room was just absolutely packed. And for 40 hours throughout two different nights, people were there. Just so many people were like, why are all these people here? Because we had so many people praying and praying for us and praying for our baby, right? And so it's, it's all happening. We're going here and the baby's being born. And I just didn't even know, are we even going to be able to hold this baby? But we had been asking and asking and pleading. And you could see. And I remember going into it, we wanted to name the baby. I told the importance of a name. And so I thought, oh, let's name this baby after uh, Jairus' daughter. And I said, what's her name? And I didn't know my Bible as well then. And I was like, oh, I think her name is Lydia. And I looked it up, and it's not. I said, well, who's Lydia? So I read the story of Lydia, and it said that Paul met Lydia at a place of prayer. So we decided, while we were pregnant before this, we're going to name her Lydia, because we've met this baby at a place of prayer. And then we picked out a Hebrew middle name for her called Janae. Because the Hebrew for Janae means, and he answered. So before this baby was, prayer, was born, we named her, we met her at a place of prayer, and he answered. And this baby's born, and they have the baby, and I got to cut the cord. And they took this baby, and they placed her on my wife's chest, and she held her, and we didn't know if that would even happen. And then they take her, and they put her on a machine, and they do an ultrasound, and then they go, here you go, and they get, let me hold her, and I'm holding her, and I can look her around, and they take her again, and they do another ultrasound, and they give her back to Beth, and I'm looking around, and just like, just like David, I perceived that something was off, but it wasn't what they expected. Like, they're all baffled, and their eyes, because the ultrasounds that they did showed that, contrary to what happened seven days earlier, that the kidneys were normal size and completely dark and there was not one cyst on them. Isn't that amazing? And so the baby was fine and went through all these tests and for a month, two months, three months after being born, we had to go back in and they're doing ultrasounds and they're checking and the kidneys are totally fine and the baby is doing completely fine. And the doctors finally said, you just got to stop coming back in here. We don't need you here anymore. I'm like, yeah, but what happened? They're like, don't worry about that. Baby's healthy. I'm like, yeah, but what happened? I'm like, we don't know. And I said, we do. Because Jesus is my Lord and Savior and we pleaded for to him to heal and you now have ultrasounds showing the disease and then none after and you know what you know nothing happens internally to kidneys when you pass through the birth canal <laughs> but the Lord may be gracious the Lord may the Lord can the Lord may let's pray Lord we just come before you and we do acknowledge that you desire for us all to know you, to come to you as our, our Savior, to acknowledge that we, 
we can't live under authority of our own nature. But what's best is to put ourselves in your forgiveness that you freely offered grace through your death on a cross for us. And so some here, their challenge may be from you to submit to you as their Savior and Lord for the first time. And all of us who follow after you as our Savior and Lord, we tell you, you are the Lord. You may do as as you please. It's our own response today. Well, be one like every day to say that you may, and we know that you can.